Shane by Jack Schaefer. Chapter 3. It was exciting at first watching them. They were hitting a fast pace, making the chips dance. I thought maybe each one would cut through a root now and stop. But Shane finished his and looked over at Father working steadily away, and with a grim little smile pulling at his mouth, he moved on to another route. A few moments later, Father smashed through his with a blow that sent the axe head into the ground beneath. He wrestled with the handle to yank the head loose, and he too tackled another route without even waiting to wipe off the dirt. This began to look like a long session, so I started to wander away. Just as I headed around the corner of the barn, Mother came past the corner. She was the freshest, prettiest thing I had ever seen. She had taken her hat and stripped the old ribbon from it and fixed it as Shane had told her. Some of the flowers by the house were in a small bouquet in front. She had cut slits in the brim, and the sash from her best dress came around the crown and through the slits, and was tied in a perky bow under her chin. She was stepping along daintily, mighty proud of herself. She went up close to the stump. Those two choppers were so busy and intent that even if they were aware she was there, they did not really notice her. "'Well,' she said, "'aren't you going to look at me?' They both stopped, and they both stared at her. "'Have I got it right?' she asked Jane. "'Is this the way they do it?' "'Yes, ma'am.' he said, about like that, only their brims are wider, and he swung back to his root. "'Joe Starrett,' said Mother, "'aren't you at least going to tell me whether you like me in this hat?' "'Look a-here, Marion,' said Father. "'You know darned well that whether you have a hat on or whether you don't have a hat on, you're the nicest thing to me that ever happened on God's green earth. Now stop bothering us.' "'Can't you see we're busy?' And he swung back to his root. Mother's face was a deep pink. She pulled the bow out and the hat from her head. She held it swinging from her hand by the sash ends. Her hair was mussed, and she was really mad. Hm, she said. "'This is a funny kind of resting you're doing today.' Father set the axe head on the ground and leaned on the handle. Maybe it seems funny to you, Marion, but this is the best resting I've had for about as long as I can remember. Hm, said Mother again. You'll have to quit your resting for a while anyhow, and do what I suppose you'll call work. Dinner's hot on the stove and waiting to be served. She flounced around and went straight back to the house. We all tagged her in and to an uncomfortable meal. Mother always believed you should be decent and polite at mealtime, particularly with company. She was polite enough now. She was being special sweet, talking enough for the whole table of us, without once saying a word about her hat lying where she had thrown it on the chair by the stove. The trouble was that she was too polite. She was trying too hard to be sweet. As far as you could tell, though, the two men were not worried by her at all. They listened absently to her talk, chiming in when she asked them direct questions, but otherwise keeping quiet. Their minds were on that old stump, and whatever it was that old stump had come to mean to them, 
and they were in a hurry to get at it again. After they had gone out, and I had been helping Mother with the dishes a while, she began humming low under her breath, and I knew she was not mad any more. She was too curious and puzzled to have room for anything else. "'What went on out there, Bob?' she asked me. "'What got into those two? I did not rightly know. All I could do was try to tell her about Ledyard and how our visitor had called him on the cultivator. I must have used the wrong words, because when I told her about Ledyard talking mean and the way Shane acted, she got all flushed and excited. "'What do you say, Bob? You were afraid of him? He frightened you? Your father would never let him do that.' I wasn't frightened of him, I said, struggling to make her see the difference. I was, well, I was just frightened. I was scared of whatever it was that might happen. She reached out and rumpled my hair. I think I understand, she said softly. He's made me feel a little that way, too. She went to the window and stared toward the barn. The steady rhythm of double blows so together they sounded almost as one, was faint yet clear in the kitchen. "'I hope Joe knows what he's doing,' she murmured to herself. Then she turned to me. "'Skip along out, Bob. I'll finish myself.' It was no fun watching them now. They had eased down to a slow, dogged pace. Father sent me once for the hone, so they could sharpen the blades, and again for a spade, so he could clear the dirt away from the lowest roots, and I realized he might keep me running as long as I was handy. I slipped off by myself to see how Mother's garden was doing after the rain, and maybe add to the population in the box of worms I was collecting for when I would go fishing with the boys in town. I took my time about it. I played pretty far afield. But no matter where I went, always I could hear that chopping in the distance." You could not help beginning to feel tired just to hear it, to think how they were working and staying at it. Along the middle of the afternoon, I wandered into the barn. There was Mother by the rear stall, up on a box peering through the little window above it. She hopped down as soon as she heard me and put a finger to her lips. "'I declare,' she whispered. "'In some ways those two aren't even as old as you are, Bob.' just the same. She frowned at me in such a funny, confiding manner that I felt all warm inside. Don't you dare tell them I said so. But there's something splendid in the battle they're giving that old monster. She went past me and toward the house with such a brisk air that I followed to see what she was going to do. She whisked about the kitchen, and in almost no time at all she had a pan of biscuits in the oven. While they were baking, she took her hat and carefully sewed the old ribbon into its old place. Hm, she said, more to herself than to me. You'd think I'd learn. This isn't Dodge City. This isn't even a whistle stop. It's Joe Starrett's farm. It's where I'm proud to be. Out came the biscuits. She piled as many as she could on a plate, popping one of the leftovers into her mouth and giving me the rest. She picked up the plate and marched with it out behind the barn. She stepped over the cut roots and set the plate on a fairly smooth spot on top of the stump. She looked at the two men, 
first one and then the other. "'You're a pair of fools,' she said. "'But there's no law against me being a fool, too.' Without looking at either of them again, she marched away, her head high, back toward the house. The two of them stared after her till she was out of sight. They turned to stare at the biscuits. Father gave a deep sigh, so deep it seemed to come all the way from his heavy work shoes. There was nothing sad or sorrowful about it. There was just something in him too big to be held tight in comfort. He let his axe fall to the ground. He leaned forward and separated the biscuits into two piles beside the plate, counting them even. One was left on the plate. He set this by itself on the stump. He took up his axe and reached it out and let it drop gently on the lone biscuit exactly in the middle. He rested the axe against the stump and took the two halves of the biscuit and put one on each pile. He did not say a word to Shane. He pitched into one pile and Shane did into the other, and the two of them faced each other over the last uncut roots, munching at those biscuits as if eating them was the most serious business they had ever done. Father finished his pile and dabbled his fingers on the plate for the last crumbs. He straightened and stretched his arms high and wide. He seemed to stretch and stretch until he was a tremendous tower of strength reaching up into the late afternoon sun. He swooped suddenly to grab the plate and toss it to me. Still in the same movement, he seized the axe and swung it in a great arc into the route he was working on. Quick as he was, Shane was right with him, and together they were talking again to that old stump. I took the plate in to Mother. She was peeling apples in the kitchen, humming gaily to herself. The wood box, Bob, she said, and went on humming. I carried in stove lengths till the box would not hold any more. Then I slipped out before she might think of more chores. I tried to keep myself busy down by the river, skipping flat stones across the current, all muddy still from the rain. I was able to for a while, but that steady chopping had a peculiar fascination. It was always pulling me toward the barn. I simply could not grasp how they could stick at it hour after hour. It made no sense to me why they should want to work so when routing out that old stump was not really so important. I was wavering in front of the barn when I noticed that the chopping was different. Only one axe was working. I hurried around back. Shane was still swinging, cutting into the last root. Father was using the spade, was digging under one side of the stump, bringing the dirt out between the cut roots. As I watched, he laid the spade aside and put his shoulder to the stump. He heaved against it. Sweat started to pour down his face. There was a little sucking sound, and the stump moved ever so slightly. That did it. Of a sudden, I was so excited that I could hear my own blood pounding past my eardrums. I wanted to dash to that stump and push it and feel it move. Only I knew Father would think I was in the way. Shane finished the root and came to help him. Together, they heaved against the stump. It angled up nearly a whole inch. You could begin to see an open space in the dirt where it was ripping loose. 
but as soon as they released the pressure, it fell back. Again and again they heaved at it. Each time it would angle up a bit farther. Each time it would fall back. They had it up once about a foot and a half, and that was the limit. They could not get past it. They stopped, breathing hard, mighty streaked now from the sweat rivulets down their faces. Father peered underneath as best he could. "'Must be a taproot,' he said. That was the one time either of them had spoken to the other, as far as I knew, the whole afternoon through. Father did not say anything more, and Shane said nothing. He just picked up his axe and looked at Father and waited. Father began to shake his head. There was some unspoken thought between them that bothered him. He looked down at his own big hands, and slowly the fingers curled until they were clenched into big fists. Then his head stopped shaking, and he stood taller, and he drew a deep breath. He turned and backed in between two cut root ends, pressing against the stump. He pushed his feet into the ground for firm footholds. He bent his knees and slid his shoulders down the stump and wrapped his big hands around the root ends. Slowly, he began to straighten. Slowly, that huge old stump began to rise. Up it came, inch by inch, until the side was all the way up to the limit they had reached before. Shane stooped to peer under. He poked his axe into the opening, and I heard it strike wood. But the only way he could get in position to swing the axe into the opening was to drop on his right knee and extend his left leg and thigh into the opening and lean his weight on them. Then he could bring the axe sweeping in at a low angle close to the ground. He flashed one quick glance at father beside and behind him, eyes closed, muscles locked in that great sustained effort, and he dropped into position with the whole terrible weight of the stump poised above nearly half of his body, and sent the axe sweeping under in swift, powerful strokes. Suddenly, father seemed to slip. Only he had not slipped. He had straightened even further. The stump had leaped up a few more inches. Shane jumped out and up and tossed his axe aside. He grabbed one of the root ends and helped father ease the stump down. They both were blowing like they had run a long way. But they would not stay more than a minute before they were heaving again at the stump. It came up more easily now, and the dirt was tearing loose all around it. I ran to the house fast as I could. I dashed into the kitchen and took hold of Mother's hand. Hurry, I yelled. You've got to come. She did not seem to want to come at first, and I pulled her. You've got to see it. They're getting it out. Then she was excited as I was and was running right with me. They had the stump way up at a high angle. They were down in the hole, one on each side of it, pushing up and forward with hands flat on the underpart reared before them higher than their heads. You would have thought the stump was ready to topple over clear of its ancient foundation, but there it stuck. They could not quite push it the final inches. Mother watched them battling with it. Joe, she called. Why don't you use some sense? Hitch up the team. 
Horses will have it out in no time at all. Father braced himself to hold the stump still. He turned his head to look at her. Horses, he shouted. All the pent silence of the two of them that long afternoon through was being shattered in the one wonderful shout. Horses! Great jumping Jehoshaphat! No! We started this with manpower, and by Godfrey, we'll finish it with manpower. He turned his head to face the stump once more, and dropped it lower between his humped shoulders. Shane, opposite him, stiffened, and together they pushed in a fresh assault. The stump quivered and swayed a little, and hung fixed at its crazy high angle. Father grunted in exasperation. You could see the strength building up in his legs and broad shoulders and big corded arms. His side of the upturned stump rocked forward, and Shane's side moved back, and the whole stump trembled like it would twist down and into the hole on them at a grotesque new angle. I wanted to shout a warning, but I could not speak, for Shane had thrown his head in a quick sideways gesture to fling his hair from falling over his face, and I had caught a glimpse of his eyes. They were aflame with a concentrated cold fire. Not another separate discernible movement did he make. It was all of him, the whole man, pulsing in the one incredible surge of power. You could fairly feel the fierce energy suddenly burning in him, pouring through him in the single coordinated drive. His side of the stump rocked forward, even with father's, and the whole mass of the stump tore loose from the last hold and toppled away to sprawl in ungainly defeat beyond them. Father climbed slowly out of the hole. He walked to the stump and placed a hand on the rounded bowl and patted it like it was an old friend, and he was perhaps a little sorry for it. Shane was with him, across from him, laying a hand gently on the old hard wood. They both looked up, and their eyes met and held as they had so long ago in the morning hours. The silence should have been complete. It was not, because someone was shouting, a high-pitched, wordless shout. I realized that the voice was mine, and I closed my mouth. The silence was clean and wholesome, and this was one of the things you could never forget whatever time might do to you in the furrowing of the years. An old stump on its side, with root ends making a strange pattern against the glow of the sun, sinking behind the far mountains, and two men looking over it into each other's eyes. I thought they should join the hands so close on the bowl of the stump. I thought they should at least say something to each other. They stood quiet and motionless. At last, father turned and came toward mother. He was so tired that the weariness showed in his walk. But there was no weariness in his voice. Marion, he said, I'm rested now. I don't believe any man since the world began was ever more rested. Shane, too, was coming toward us. He, too, spoke only to Mother. Ma'am, I've learned something today. 
being a farmer has more to it than I ever thought. Now I'm about ready for some of that pie. Mother had been watching them in a wide-eyed wonder. At his last words, she let out a positive wail. Oh, you, you men! You made me forget about it! It's probably all burned! And she was running for the house so fast she was tripping over her skirt. The pie was burned all right. We could smell it when we were in front of the house, and the men were scrubbing themselves at the pump trough. Mother had the door open to let the kitchen air out. The noises from inside sounded as if she might be throwing things around. Kettles were banging, and dishes were clattering. When we went in, we saw why. She had the table set and was putting supper on it, and she was grabbing the things from their places and putting them down on the table with solid thumps. She would not look at one of us. We sat down and waited for her to join us. She put her back to us and stood by the low shelf near the stove, staring at her big pie tin and the burn stuff in it. Finally, Father spoke kind of sharply. "'Looky here, Marion. Aren't you ever going to sit down?' She whirled and glared at him. I thought maybe she had been crying, but there were no tears on her face. It was dry and pinched-looking, and there was no color in it. Her voice was sharp like father's. I was planning to have a deep-dish apple pie. Well, I will. None of your silly man-foolishness is going to stop me. She swept up the big tin and went out the door with it. We heard her on the steps, and a few seconds later the rattle of the cover of the garbage pail. We heard her on the steps again. She came in and went to the side bench where the dishpan was and began to scrub the pie tin. The way she acted, we might not have been in the room. Father's face was getting red. He picked up his fork to begin eating and let it drop with a little clatter. He squirmed on his chair and kept taking quick side looks at her. She finished scrubbing the tin and went to the apple barrel and filled her wooden bowl with fat, round ones. She sat by the stove and started peeling them. Father fished in a pocket and pulled out his old jackknife. He moved over to her, stepping softly. He reached out for an apple to help her. She did not look up, but her voice caught him like she had flicked him with a whip. Joe Starrett, don't you dare touch a one of these apples. He was sheepish as he returned to his chair. Then he was downright mad. He grabbed his knife and fork and dug into the food on his plate, taking big bites and chewing vigorously. There was nothing for our visitor and me to do but follow his example. Maybe it was a good supper. I could not tell. The food was only something to put in your mouth. And when we finished, there was nothing to do but wait, because Mother was sitting by the stove, arms folded, staring at the wall, waiting herself for her pie to bake. We three watched her in a quiet so tight that it hurt. We could not help it. We would try to look away, and always our eyes would turn back to her. She did not appear to notice us. You might have said she had forgotten we were there. She had not forgotten, because as soon as she sensed that the pie was done, she lifted it out, cut four wide pieces, and put them on plates. The first two she set in front of the two men. The third one she set down for me. 
The last one she laid at her own place, and she sat down in her own chair at the table. Her voice was still sharp. "'I'm sorry to keep you men waiting so long. Your pie is ready now.' Father inspected his portion like he was afraid of it. He needed to make a real effort to take his fork and lift a piece. He chewed on it and swallowed, and he flipped his eyes sideways at Mother and back again quickly to look across the table at Shane. "'That's prime pie,' he said. Shane raised a piece on his fork. He considered it closely. He put it in his mouth and chewed on it gravely. "'Yes,' he said." The quizzical expression on his face was so plain you could not possibly miss it. Yes, that's the best bit of stump I ever tasted. What could a silly remark like that mean? I had no time to wonder, for father and mother were acting so queer. They both stared at Shane, and their mouths were sagging open. Then father snapped his shut and he chuckled and chuckled till he was swaying in his chair. "'By Godfrey Marion, he's right. You've done it, too.' Mother stared from one to the other of them. Her pinched look faded, and her cheeks were flushed, and her eyes were soft and warm as they should be, and she was laughing so that the tears came. And all of us were pitching into that pie— and the one thing wrong in the whole world was that there was not enough of it.